0: Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Our interview guests today are the co-hosts of the Crack Podcast, Demarcus Beasley, Aguchi Anyewu, and Mabricio Mookie Wilson. Before we get going, you can sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. It has all my writing, including on-site coverage of every U.S. men's national team World Cup qualifier. That's grantwall.com. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. In segment one, Chris Whittingham and I will break down the soccer news. We'll have Beasley, Onyewu and Wilson in segment two. And in segment three, Whitty and I will look at 10 top storylines of the soon-to-begin MLS season starting this weekend. Let's bring in Witty. How are you, my friend?
1: Man, if, if we we have so much to squeeze in that the start of the MLS season, the segment three, we got a lot to, lot to get stuck into. So let's get to it.
0: <laughs> let's do it. Big news of the week is really historic news, I would say. U.S. Women's National Team reaches a $24 million settlement with U.S. soccer uh, to end their lawsuit for gender discrimination that is contingent on the two sides reaching a collective bargaining agreement. Current deadline is March 31st, though I do expect that will happen. That would be just such a I think both sides realize that would just be a killer if it didn't. So really historic. And this is a story that has been going on for several years now, probably six years, I think, um, and has had its ups and downs and court judgments against the US women who continued to fight they appealed and now they reached this settlement with US soccer and I'll ask you do you think this is a victory for the US women's national team
1: I 100% do because in the story um, and and you see I mean you know Alex Morgan was on like Good Morning America the next morning like obviously these women are massive stars with massive platforms and you know what you see is the admission from U.S. soccer that they had unequal paying practices for a long time. That's basically what the settlement is. The settlement is, hey, we owe you a lot of money because you have given more to this program than you were compensated for. I mean, especially when you compare the inequity and the results that the men's and women's national teams have achieved in the last six years, never mind the inequity in pay. So I, I think that all along, there just needed to be an admission that there was an an inequity. And I think going forward, U.S. soccer basically has to, by virtue of what the women have done for the program and also just for the purposes of being fair in the world and setting an example for other industries to continue to follow behind, is making up for... The gender pay gap one way or another, you have the power, you have the money, just do it because it's the right thing to do. And yeah, you can hide behind the excuses of, you know, World Cup prize money being so disparate between the men's and the women's game. And, and hopefully U.S. soccer is taking that fight to FIFA now because that is the next frontier on this battle. But even if that doesn't get solved, it's still on U.S. soccer to solve that problem. And I'm glad they've at least taken a step towards doing so. Yeah,
0: uh, that's well said. I do consider this a, a victory for the U.S. women's national team players because at one point, I think U.S. soccer got as high as a couple of years ago as offering about $12 million in a in a settlement. And that was even before the judge ruled against the U.S. women in a summary judgment. So for that number to go up to $24 for the settlement, I do think is a victory. And I think people shouldn't pay too much attention to the $67 million figure that the U.S. women's players were asking for to have U.S. soccer cover the difference between the FIFA World Cup prize money, which wasn't U.S. soccer's decision, and... All along that seemed like a very high figure to throw out there but that's also why lawyers do that so that when there is a settlement you can get a higher middle and that's why I think they did that not because they thought they would actually get that kind of money and I don't think US soccer should have been on the hook for sixty seven million dollars I don't think anybody thought that sixty seven million dollars was eventually going to happen here so um, I do think it's interesting though that This to me shows that the court of public opinion, which has been very much against US soccer in this case, is very different sometimes from a court of law. And the court of law has actually been on the side of US soccer more often than not in this case. And I think this does show how much the court of public opinion does matter, and sponsors matter, and having sponsors that are happy with U.S. soccer matters. And I know they were very unhappy that this lawsuit had not been settled, had not been put into the past. And now, you know, like there's still a couple things that need to happen, but the, the big day is here. And so uh, and it's not just about the $24 million that $22 million in back pay. It's also about get you know us soccer guaranteeing in the future that there will be equal pay with world cup prize money for the u.s men and the women they still have to get there by the way on how that's going to work and the u.s men as long as they don't continue or if they as long as they make world cups are going to be giving up some money here and so the question is how much how are they going to make that work I would love to say that I think FIFA will greatly increase the women's world cup prize money. I don't think that'll happen uh, anytime soon. And, and we'll see if pressure can be put on FIFA. Uh, I I am skeptical because there's a lot of things that people have wanted to pressure FIFA on for a very long time, especially in the women's soccer space. And that hasn't really happened. So uh, cultures are hard to change. I do wish them luck because I do think the, the prize money gap for the World Cup should not be continuing to widen which is what it's been doing uh over the last few World Cups so uh but just a momentous occasion this week for that settlement to be reached um I want to move on to the men's side of the national team because the big news here unfortunately is negative news it's Weston McKinney's two broken metatarsals that he suffered against Real and Champions League late in that game came off and he's going to miss the March World Cup qualifiers. And, you know, look, um, the U.S. fan base is already skittish because the U.S. hasn't qualified yet and because there's not a ton of margin for error in these games. And now the best player for the U.S. over the last several months is going to be missing. He's been playing really well for Juventus, which is also going to miss McKinney. Uh How do you see the the... Greg Berhalter dealing with this in March?
1: I I think there's a fairly obvious solution. And like my prevailing feeling is that I really hope that this injury is not an excuse going forward. Now, Let's lay down first the facts, which is that Weston McKennie has been the US's best player for a couple of months now, and he's been tremendous both with the national team and with Juventus. Uh, I was listening to The Guardian Football Weekly and, you know, Nikki Bandini was on, and she was saying that Weston McKennie has grown immensely since and then, since initially joining Juventus, uh, particularly from a tactical point of view and, and 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 a lot of the aspects of playing in Serie A that a player needs to learn, he's learned them and he's adapted and played well. So that, I think, is certainly the beginning of the conversation, but I think what follows is if he doesn't play in these qualifiers, then there needs to be several several options to fill this hole because... In theory, this generation is meant to promise the U.S. adept to survive individual pieces missing. They've survived so far, Gio Reyna basically being out the entire way. We'll see now with more positive news if he can play in, in the March qualifiers that uh, like after it the the prognosis was better following his initial injury with Dortmund. But I look at Brendan Aronson, who plays through the middle for R.B. Salzburg, and he can absolutely play in that position. He'll play it differently. But you should still be able to play it pretty well, given his club pedigree. And all of a sudden, you, you can look at your front line of having Pulisic and Way on the wings, and you can play Aaronson through the middle. If you insist upon Brendan Aaronson being a winger, then you can put Gianluca Busio in the middle, and that should be able to work. Luca de la Torre, and that should be able to work. I honestly think that a player like Georgie Mihailovic deserves a shout. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because we were recording this before I'm going to commentate on Montreal and Santos Laguna's performances, and you're reminded that an American had the second most assists in MLS last season and should be able to fit into the national team. So there should be a bevy of options here for Greg Berhalter to solve this problem. And again, none of them are as good or as talented as Weston McKinney, but it should be good enough for the U.S. to qualify for the World Cup, and it's a test of this manager's ability to solve those problems.
0: That's a strong opinion, and I like it because canada didn't have alfonso davies last month and they had a nine point window with two away games including a victory against the united states and you didn't see canada whining a lot about missing alfonso davies so um i certainly know that the u.s fan base has been stung before and very sensitive as a result of what happened in the last cycle here but i do think the u.s is going to be able to adjust here i i think if they can't beat Panama at home, I don't care if Weston McKenney's on the field or not. They've got to be able to beat Panama at home, and I still think they're capable of getting a point on the road at, at Mexico and maybe even Costa Rica, though you don't want to take this to the last game. So still, uh, best wishes to Weston McKinney and, and his recovery. It's not his first injury, but it does come just at a really bad time for him. Um, One American player who did have a a very positive Champions League game, Christian Pulisic, with uh, really a terrific game for Chelsea. They beat Lille 2-0. Terrific goal in finish and run from Christian Pulisic, who was dangerous for really the entirety of this game, playing in his preferred left-wing position.
1: Yeah, and it was interesting to read about how Pulisic had not really had the chance to start multiple games in a row with Chelsea this season that they are constantly rotating their attackers to the point where they haven't really found any combinations that work and I actually find interesting Pulisic's quality of performance given the backdrop of the game was Romelu Lukaku being benched after only touching the ball seven times in a full 90 minutes at the weekend I believe in a win at Crystal Palace so I think that was an interesting backdrop because basically what this game showed is at times the team flows better without Romelu Lukaku in the middle and Pulisic is one of those players and I think it's up to Thomas Tuchel if you know he was behind Romelu Lukaku coming into the club to figure out how to get those attackers connected because I think Christian Pulisic's you know not long-term future Chelsea but just sort of immediate term if he can figure out if he can be part of the solution there with Romelu Lukaku then that certainly figures well for him. But overall, I don't think it's necessarily his fault that this attack hasn't worked with Lukaku in it or you know, with Pulisic getting regular game time. I think the fact that he played really well in this game is kind of an indication, okay, the game opens up without Lukaku in it. How do you then work Pulisic and Lukaku together? But obviously, good performances beget good performances and beget him staying in that Chelsea team, which I think can only be a good thing heading towards a month from now, a period where you're going to need to have Pulisic on form uh, you know, entering your three biggest games of the qualifying cycle.
0: Other Champions League results in the round of 16. Leg one here. No away goals tiebreaker anymore, by the way, Atletico Madrid one, Man United one, Benfica two, Ajax two, Villarreal one, Juventus one. We already mentioned Chelsea two, Lille nil. Um, Atletico against United was an interesting game here on Wednesday. Um, United probably outplayed in this game, you could say. Atletico gets the early goal, really nice one. A uh, terrific cross from Lodi to Joao Felix uh, with the sort of leaning header. Um, and then they sort of just hold on. They seem like they're playing for a 1-0. And Anthony Alanga, 19 years old, gets a le- an equalizer after a really nice through ball from Bruno Fernandes, who... I thought waited too long almost but didn't in the end and then nice finish but what the heck has happened to Jan Oblak this season because this is not the first time I've seen him play poorly and you know a situation where he could have done better on this goal.
1: Yeah, he just kept shifting, didn't he? Like, he, he's trying to establish a position on his near post and almost kind of lost his bearings in where he should be positioned. It was incredibly strange how much of the goal he affords Anthony Olenga, who doesn't necessarily get a clean strike away, but if you aim it towards a corner, given Oblak's positioning, it was going to be good enough to find the back of the net. Uh, interesting that he's wearing the captain's armband and performed this poorly, but it's just in general with Atletico, a team that's dropped off in performance this season. So I, I think you just have a situation where, you know, he's got to figure it out, they've got to figure it out. I have to be honest, Grant, I want to see Atletico play like they play in home Champions League games in the first 10 minutes. Because... They came flying out of the traps and went at United, and it was inevitable that they were going to go 1-0 up. But it's also just as inevitable that once they go 1-0 up, they're going to close up shop, and you'll see the 4-4-2 that you've seen under Diego Simeone for years. And so I just kind of wish that he just like – let them play and go get a second and a third because they could have hammered Manchester United tonight and almost did anyway, but uh, instead, we were treated to a performance where they were defensive and slowly wore down and frankly, with the Ranić style, with that Red Bull style, it's not meant to look pretty for 90 minutes, but it's meant to create the kind of chance that they create there, which Alanga then duly finishes, so um, it, I, I really um, found interesting that Atletico weren't able to soar higher because they should be. They, they should be two or three goals clear heading to the second leg and Instead, they're 1-1 heading back to Old Trafford.
0: Yeah, these are two disappointing teams, right? At least in the league this season, United and Atletico. And so the, the return leg is going to be fascinating because both teams are capable of advancing. They've got talent, obviously. And yet, um, people are talking about Simeone maybe not staying beyond this season after such a really long and successful tenure at Atletico. And... You know i don't think it's very likely that ragnick will be staying on beyond his interim uh duties as manager so um you know, how whoever ends up doing better in champions league i think might have an impact on on what happens there but uh change is afoot in that one uh there was a lot of soccer actually on wednesday you had Uh, We're recording this before CCL, before the U.S. Women's National Team, so we won't be getting to those, but Liverpool 6 leads nil, and suddenly Liverpool is three points behind Man City, the leader in the Premier League. We very much have a race now, and... Winning by six goals, actually, Liverpool now has a better goal difference than Man City.
1: Yeah, there's a title race in England, and now you have uh, you know a, a three-point difference between the two of them. Liverpool not only win, but that six-nil margin uh, improves that goal difference. So Manchester City, they lose, I think, one game in their last 16, and they're right back to needing that absolute top form. And so fair play to Liverpool, as we talked about in the previous podcast— Having that ability to sustain with the players going to AFCON was super impressive. And so you have that. And then on the other end of the table, you have Burnley beating Spurs after Spurs beat Manchester City. And so Burnley now, with the win, are only two points from safety with games in hand, and all of a sudden, I think it's the entire bottom seven now is in the relegation race. So just when we sort of thought, well, the three teams that are go down and the team that's going to win the league is pretty well cemented, the English Premier League is opened up in a big way. You have a race for the cha- you have a, you have a race for the title, you have a race for the Champions League, and you have a proper relegation battle that I think kicks off tonight with that Burnley Spurs result.
0: Yeah, I mean it's. A lesson for me, I guess, not to write things off too soon in terms of not having a title race, not having much of a relegation battle, and it's these two results especially: Spurs winning at City, followed by Spurs losing to Burnley, and uh, that tells you a lot, right there. But I also think people should keep an eye on this Leeds United situation because I, I know I've reported on my on my own before, long before the reports came out. This past week the Leeds was interested in Jesse Marsh. I already knew that was the case. It said so. And so um, they're in the relegation zone. And I know they love Marcelo Bielsa for getting them up to the Premier League, but it hasn't gone very well this season. Lots of injuries, obviously. But I do wonder, it would seem a little hasty to let go Bielsa before the season's over. So I have a hard time believing they would do it, but it's not outside the the 100% realm of possibility.
1: Yeah, I mean, if he hadn't achieved what he has achieved at that club, he would absolutely be up for the drop because they've given up nearly twice as many goals as if they scored this season. And they decided not to move in January. Not entirely sure if that's his fault. They went after Brendan Aronson, who also has that American connection as well. And they decided not to pay whatever it is Salzburg we're probably going to charge in order to prime away from a Champions League team. So... I, th- there are certainly reasons why Leeds are where they are. They've had enormous amounts of injuries. We can also say that sort of the Bielsa effect kicking in after you know seasons scrunched into a bridge period, it kind of almost seemed inevitable that some of those guys were going to get hurt. If, with with healthy Calvin Phillips and with healthy Patrick Bamford, they should be fine, but who knows if they're going to get them in time. And now uh, that every team in that bottom seven is in a relegation fight, that means Leeds are in a relegation fight. If you look at their resume if not for the fact that Bielsa is the hero that dragged them out of the quagmire of the championship, he absolutely would be on the chopping block. But that being said, the romantic in me really hopes that Marcelo Bielsa manages at Leeds United until he absolutely does not want to do so anymore and not a moment sooner. They should never sack him. He should have all the credit in the world to try and fight his way out of the predicament that they find themselves
0: in. We'll have Chris Whittingham back in segment three for a deep dive on the MLS season. Chris? Chris? Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Grant. Now, here's my interview with Demarcus Beasley, Aguchi Onyewu, and Mabricio Wilson. Our guests now are each legends in their own right, and they now host one of my favorite podcasts together. Demarcus Beasley is the only U.S. man to play in four World Cups and had a 20-year club career. Aguchi Onyewu played in two World Cups and had a 16-year club career. Fabricio Mookie Wilson is the co-founder of Footballer Clothing. They host the Crack Podcast, which you should subscribe to. They've had some amazing guests and just started season three. Guys, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming on the show.
2: Thanks for having us on, Grant. Yeah, Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Grant.
0: Now, we got a lot to talk about here. and We got three guys I'm interviewing. So I want I definitely want to make sure everyone gets touches. But you guys have great chemistry, so I think we can do this. I just wanted to start by asking, how did your podcast get started and what were your goals with it? Go ahead, Wookie.
2: (laughs) Yeah. This
3: is the only touches I get, but um, (laughs) the the crack, uh, we got started and started thinking about doing something um, in the summer of 2019. Uh, We got together. I've been doing media for some time now and um, we've been friends for over 15, 20 years. And we felt that the U.S. soccer needed a, some type of um, landscape or some type of media that really spoke to a different audience. And the audience we wanted to speak to is an audience that really didn't care maybe so much about the technical aspects of the game or what, what boots somebody wore or how many shots somebody took, t- was taken. But a little bit uh, lighter note, uh, more opinionated, and came from a perspective from the player's point of view. And um, we first started out with maybe four or five footballers that we got together and realized that was too many people to be on one platform and too hard to schedule. And uh, we started using um, uh, different uh, software. And when Zoom came out, it it made it a little bit easier, less feedback, less echo, um, uh, better reception. And it really was gooch one day um 2020 it was like listen i think football is played in the triangle and i think yourself being <laughs> <laughs> myself being, and, um,
2: bees, bees, this story changes bees, every I know, time myself
3: being <laughs> bees is better because initially we had we had seven of us but it was a lot and um you know bees would talk too long other people wouldn't get a chance to speak and uh again we wanted to develop something that was just a a different voice uh, in u.s soccer and um we pulled the trigger and we started to do it in 2020 and we're three seasons in it's been fun
0: i've really enjoyed it guys i listen to it regularly um you get amazing guests it's fun to hear your opinions and your interactions with each other why is it called the crack podcast gooch yeah, Gucci, uh, yeah. You, you made a name
2: <laughs> <laughs> you gotta listen to episode one no um <laughs> so like everything you try to find a catchy name trying to find something that kind of resonates with what you guys are doing um and we had a multitude of what about this what about that and uh one day i was like what about the crack you know which could signify a, a multitude of things you know and uh in, in, in Spain or in, in Latin countries, when you call someone crack, they're like, oh, they, you know, he's, he's a really good soccer player, you know, or if you say it's something is that the crack, you know, it's like, you know, that that's something really, really good. You you want to you want to get a hold of whatever that person has, you know, and I just felt like, you know, it's short, it, it's memorable and it, it doesn't take too much effort to to say it. So it, that that's those are the best kind of elements in terms of branding and and, and naming. So I just. You know they agreed with it the trifecta went went through and you know i didn't get vetoed
4: <laughs> that, that's right i tried right. the first time you didn't get vetoed by the way <laughs> any now, any, yeah. idea, any any ideas these fools bring up i'm like nah i shut it i shut it down <laughs> I shut it down real quick. He kicks the ball out of bounds every time. <laughs> every time. Every damn time.
0: Well, you've had, I mentioned some great guests you've had, including Clint Dempsey, Weston McKennie, Christian Pulisic, many others. I know what my favorite moment of your podcast has been, but what are your favorite moments on the pod so far? I mean,
4: I, I, I'll i take this one first. Um, and actually kind of thought about this, uh, to be honest. Um and I even went back and scrolled through, you know, listened to some old, some of our old, uh, our old shows. And I, and I'm kind of You it, did, you, really did, you did homework? I did homework. I did some homework. So I put it in three categories, you know? So I think our fun, uh, for me, this is my opinion. I think uh, my funniest show was, was Weston for sure. I thought his, his energy is, his, his, uh, his personality and, you know, our interaction together. It was, it was a, it was a good show and it was, it was pretty funny. Um, I thought the the most informative and kind of, you know, deeper kind of interview, Troy D for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought when he spoke um, and spoke about obviously his, his upbringing, his childhood and what he went through to get to where he's at now, I thought that was really, um, really, really special for him to you know come out and open up to us like that. And, you know, as far as inspirational, you know, I I think um, Lincoln Phillips. Um, So those three, those three for me are my, you know, but I put it in categories. You know, I didn't want it to say my my best one or, you know, this one moment, you know, I want so I want to at least capture it in those in those three. So those, those are my my top 3.
0: For for All listeners right. who don't know who Lincoln Phillips is, one you should, two, mm-hmm. coached Howard University to the national championship first Two national championships. i, I, I know but this is the first story I ever wrote for sports <laughs> illustrated right so I, I i know the man but like yeah 1971 which they should have been celebrating the 50th anniversary of recently NCA took it away basically racism and this was the first historically black college to win an mm-hmm. nca division one title in any sport they came back in 1974, won the title again. NCA didn't screw him that time, but he's, he's a legend. And uh, so that was a very cool episode. My favorite moment, by the way, of your podcast has been when Weston McKinney mentioned that he had a live-in personal photographer. <laughs> and there was a little bit of a pause. And then, and then DeMarcus was like, hold on a second. You have a live-in personal photographer and hilarity ensued, but uh, lots of good moments. How about you guys? What do you think are the favorite moments of the, of the show?
2: Since bees went with the whole category, uh, <laughs> I'll say, that, I'll say that my, my favorite guest was Lincoln. Um, I grew up, I knew Lincoln from this area, the DC area. So I think it was an honor to have him on the show and actually hear his insight verse uh, towards this current generation. So that was my favorite guest, uh, the most, my favorite moment was when Christian clapped back at Mookie because I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was hilarious because <laughs> Mookie wasn't waiting for that, um, and I think the realest guest we had was Clint because he had taken a long hiatus from anything and he came back and you know Clint's going to be Clint and he's just going to speak from the heart and uh just say his piece so th- those are my three card categories how about
3: you um, it's like it's like asking you know about your kids right Which one of your kids you like the best you know Um having to uh work and produce these shows uh, i like them all and so I'll, I'll probably go back a little bit further i think it was a very it was a huge honor for me to uh talk to Clinsman.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: um I, I thought that was pretty cool i think a lot of people overlooked that conversation um and then, ah, oh man, it's it so hard. I mean, even we had a, a new NYPD police officer um, during the pandemic, I thought that was incredible too. Um, we have to, you can't leave out the ladies like Cindy LaRue, you know, Allie, you know. So we had some phenomenal, uh, so I, I love them all, it's great. I love all my kids. <laughs> <laughs> this is normal,
0: this is what he does. This is
4: what he does. Exactly <laughs> so what he does.
0: From, from your experience so far, What makes for a good interview and and how do you create those conditions? I mean, I think we, obviously we have to agree on a guest and,
4: you know, the the guest has to agree to, to come on the show, but you know,
2: and we don't, we don't always agree on guests. Yeah,
4: we don't, (laughs) we do not, not. but we always have the majority, you know, the majority kind of rules over, uh, you know, anything else. But anyway, um, we, we try, one thing we try to do is make the guests feel comfortable because we, we, Mm. this is not, it's not more of an interview. It's more of a conversation. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, like even when, you know, it's not just question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. We, we, you know, we'll add our experiences or add something that, you know, went into, you know, whatever they were you know talking about that time, or, you know, we'll, you know, kind of, you know, kind of go up a little bit into their, you know, into their past, but not as much. And we just try to make them feel like a, like a friend, like a friendly moment. Cause you know, I'm not a media guy, you know what I'm saying? So like when I ask. You know, yeah, so you like, are. Nah, nah, nah. Thank you, Grant. You know, Thank you. Like, who gets who get, who get told me all the time about this. Like, I'll I'll reach out to somebody, right? You know, it could be huh? an old teammate or something I'll reach out. I'll reach out and say, "Hey, you know, would you mind coming on the show?" And they'd be like, "Oh, you know, you know, we'll see." And I, I'm done. Like, there's no, there's no second. Oh, you know, what do you think about this next week or blah blah blah? I'm like, I, I was in place. So I put myself in their shoes. You know, what I'm saying. So I'm like, and they like. Yo, have you a- asked them to get them like, no, nah, they said they get back to me. And I'm just, you know, so I'm not very persistent. So I let I kinda let Gooch and Moop do the whole, you know, asking the the guests and and the and the um and the players or whoever. But yeah, I just think that we try to make it as as fun and friendly and and comfortable as possible. I th- I think it,
2: what's separate. Oh my bad, you wanna go?
3: No, I just wanna add that, you know, bees. You know, ask the best questions. I mean, don't get bees
2: as his
4: research. Don't act like bees is coming. Yeah, I do research. I do research. Yeah. Okay.
0: I, I
2: You're media. Ma- what do you? Ta- <laughs> <laughs> well, no, listen, first of all, bees was media before any of us were media. First yeah. <laughs> so, so don't get it twisted. But I will I, I'll, I'll piggyback on what uh, bees was talking about. I think what what makes our podcast a little bit unique is that throughout the beginning towards the end, of the podcast, I think our uh, our guests forget that they're actually on one, right? And so they find themselves just having conversations, laughing, joking, and just probably saying things freely that they might have not said otherwise. So that's when you know you you you've gotten into your guest's head and they're they're comfortable with you, and and you know you can just be free and and just you know talk whatever you want.
0: My experience too, and I started this podcast toward the beginning of the pandemic, so we've Almost at 200 episodes, but it started in May of 2020. It helped get me through the pandemic because twice a week, I was able to do interviews, thanks to Zoom, with people from around the world or in the us or or wherever. And I kind of personally forget the works aspect for a second, but like I, I kind of personally needed that interaction because I wasn't interacting with too many people, and I was wondering if you're finding the same thing. Yeah,
4: I think so. Yeah, uh I mean <laughs> I mean uh we even had a uh Gooch, I don't think you were on this on the on the chat but we had a we had a like a what was it Mook the like the push up challenge and like you know cuz we couldn't do nothing you know so we had little things that we could do and, you, know, you so see how yeah, they did, they, fit,
2: they didn't invite me to the push up challenge <laughs> no because it would have been
4: a challenge. <laughs> no we had like you know exercise you know to keep us moving keep us you know energized and you know our our you know our mental's um you know on a on a good on a good path so you know, but yeah, Greg, you, you're a hundred percent right. I think the, you know, our, our podcast and kind of when we started, you know, little things like that helped us kind of get through it, you know, and, and together, you know, cause we're right. constantly talking, you know, we're, you know, constantly trying to bring up ideas and, and seeing what, you know, this podcast, this podcast could lead to. So yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, we, we felt the same way in, in that aspect.
0: You know, and I don't know if all our listeners are fully aware, um, you know, we've seen aguchi and Demarcus on CBS, but you know you're on your podcast. But what are your day to day jobs in the soccer world right now? Each of you, if you could explain to our listeners. Oh, uh,
4: second secretary general. Go ahead, the owner. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh yeah, I guess I'll start. But yeah, I'm. You know, I, I have a um, uh, you know US USL team in League Two at the moment, uh, Fort Wayne FC. Um, we are right now getting, getting ready for our our second, our second season. I am part owner and director of football operations. So, you know, I'm, you know, that's that's day to day. So I'm in, you know, from scheduling, you know, uh, friendlies to, you know, the players and how, you know, everything that goes into that, that, uh, that job, that's, that's what, you know, I'm doing. And, and at the same time, I dabble into the, you know, uh, I try to, Keep my ear out for you know the marketing side sponsorships, you know all those different things that you know kind of make the club uh, what it is and what what it's going to be based on. Um, you know our foundation. You know I have a I have a big voice in that as well uh, because we're you know we're, we're starting from scratch. we you know we have we had a we got a blank canvas to be honest. So you know making sure we get that part right and and, and represent our city in the right way. Um, you know, we have a couple of different voices that 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 makes those decisions, and I'm one of them. So, uh, but yeah, every day to day, yeah, that's that's
0: my I'm the director of football operations for Fort Wayne FC. Gucci, what, what are you doing? Uh, I didn't realize you were living, are you living full time in Belgium? Full time, full time, full time. Uh,
2: what do I do? Can you say um, your
0: title? Can you say your title, please? Can I speak?
2: <laughs> <laughs> can, can I even get two words out? <laughs> um, so. In football. So I'm here in Belgium, um, the secretary general for people that don't know that title. It's basically the equivalent of a CEO for any organization of uh, Virton here in the Belgium second division. Um, so I got this opportunity back in August and um, it, it was a huge honor for, to, to actually be, be offered it. So I said, you know, let me move my way back to, to Europe and get this experience and, you know reacclimate myself to European football and lifestyle. So I'm here doing that. I'm, you know, obviously doing the crack. I'm on the U.S. Board of Directors, so meetings every day, especially with uh, the elections coming up uh, next month. Um, obviously doing CBS uh, whenever the national team plays. Um, we, we record that with me, myself, Charlie, Clint, uh, Kid Abdo, and Mo and uh what else am i doing oh onyx my my sports performance company um that we that i got going on in 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 richmond virginia and the DC area so uh a lot of different plates to to balance how about you Mogie?
3: um i'm the co-owner of footballer clothing since 2009 uh, soccer lifestyle brand f-u-t-b-o-l-r clothing company um also a, a coach and a trainer here in new york and um, as well as uh, sit on the leadership uh, board for the Black Soccer um, Coaches Accuracy Group and have some other things that tend to do with football. But uh, we are all constantly busy and at the same time trying to schedule guests. gets a little tricky, especially we all come have different time zones. So um, during the pandemic, us getting a chance to sit still, was uh was definitely um made it easier. um But now it gets a little bit more difficult. We have to call a secretary, Gooch's <laughs> driver, you know. So, but it's been great.
0: So I want to bring up a topic that has finally been getting a bit more attention maybe in the last year or so and should have been for a lot longer than that. And that is that MLS in particular Still has embarrassingly few black coaches and front office executives. You guys are executives. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And is that something that you would have been interested in doing in MLS, but that didn't seem to be on offer or or what's your perspective on that? No, I said, I
4: said
0: let Mookie. Let Mookie <laughs>
3: take this <laughs> first. That's a great, no, I said, great question.
0: I said let Mookie take this
3: first. No, 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 no. I mean, um, Grant, one of the reasons from also for myself to start the crack is that um you know, as a whole and as people, we've been very frustrated not getting opportunities and being relevant. And I always felt as a person who comes from a marketing background and 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 from media that these two gentlemen, they, if they kept themselves in the, the media, in the media, if kept themselves out there that that would maybe help them get a better opportunity of people not just forgetting about them. You know, I I think is as a friend, but also as a fan, you know, I think it's very disrespectful that they don't get the opportunities uh, that they deserve because these two gentlemen work hard. You know, Uh, Gooch went back, finished up his degree, um, you know, and and has several businesses, always stayed busy. You know, DeMarcus has been involved in the youth program in Indiana um, even before he retired. And it's constantly been, uh, uh, um, you know, worked with with within the spectrum of U.S. soccer. And and these two gentlemen are humble. And let's be honest. Let's, let's talk about it. You know, I, when I ask these guys, they don't get the phone calls. I see others that, that get phone calls after their career is over. And people always say that, um, always have excuses. And it's just a sad thing to see. You know, people like Robin Frazier, you know, we have to kick and scream to get him to get back to a head coaching job. You know, but. These gentlemen want to be executives, don't want to be coaches. You know, we need more people like that in the front offices. We need more people as presidents, as scouts, sporting directors. And who's better than these two gentlemen who represented the the country in the World Cup? I don't know.
0: It's wild to me, y'all. I mean, like, I know exactly how much you've achieved in your careers on and off the field. And I can remember... I remember all sorts of stuff, guys. I remember living in Boston and like, it was 2004, back in the days when it was really hard to find Champions League on television anywhere and having to search around the city to watch De- DeMarcus' PSV game in Champions League. And, and they went to the freaking semifinals that year. And I think about what that, how much attention that would get today and how it basically got no attention in the U.S., Back then, you know, I, I wrote about it for a web column or something, like <laughs> you know, or or what you guys were doing, what Gucci was doing at club level in 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 Europe, being with Milan and and, and
3: winning I, championships. Grant, you know, yeah. these guys they just play in Europe. They won championships. You know yeah, I mean I that,
0: that kind of that kind of I
4: mean for me, you know, I, I'll step in for a second. That that kind of stuff doesn't bother me to be honest, because um, I mean you can you can look at you know the uh, Social media, you know the media coverage. What, it, what what it was back then? I'm talking about U.S. coverage um, uh, to what it is now. Uh, how how obviously the, the you know how big the league has grown um, as far as everything, infrastructure, stadiums, you know, money, whatever. Um, but just going back to kind of your original question, you know, uh, and not to you know always uh, beat a dead horse, but I think it's it's always an opportunity to talk about it because. You know, we didn't get those. We didn't get those calls. You know, uh, I see time and time again where you know players, um, regardless of their you know their careers, they're better than ours or 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 lesser. Um, they they step in right to a assistant sporting director or assistant GM or you know something something else. You know something oh, else. That, that hell, something hell, that hell, hell, hell some, to, uh, some of them
2: uh, step into assistant coach without. Yeah, you know, all,
4: those, all those different roles, you know, um, we don't get those calls. You know, I, I never I never received a call um, uh, to to step into a role like that, you know, in an MLS environment, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it is, you know, like I said, it is um, disappointing, uh, especially now. And I said this the other, the other day, uh, if you look at if you look around, especially with our, even black, you know, how many black players are on that team? You know, but you, you look around, and you and this is the this is the team that's representing our, our country. You know, and you look around, and you see, and you know, you, you go to MLS because that is the, the league that the you know a lot of these players you know came from, not all, but some. And uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't reciprocate. You know, and you know, and it's like why why aren't we getting those opportunities? You know, and I just think that um, it, you know things that things that Gucci is doing now. You know, I know it's in Europe, but it's important. You know, Robin Frazier, you know, uh, having a great year with Colorado coming up a, a bit short is important, you know, easy. Now he's in Chicago. It's important, you know, uh, all these, all these different, these small kind of wins is, is, is kind of hoping that we can, you know, um, progress and you know get to where it's 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 a it's not about the color of skin but it's about you know who's actually the better person for the job
2: so damn (laughs) where are you on this Gucci? how how do you follow (laughs) no no Beads is spot on um and i think that obviously people can speak about um our presence and what we did on the field and you know that you know speaks for itself you know beads is a, a legend in his own right i think i had a fairly decent career And so when people speak of us and our names, they'd say, oh, the players, you know, they were this, they were that. Okay, great. But then afterwards, where are we? You know, and I can personally say that after retiring, I reached out to over 12 MLS clubs, um, which either never hit me back or some were like, no, you don't have enough experience. So I'm thinking, okay, this is a person that had a 16-year career, speaks multiple languages, he's educated but you're saying he doesn't have enough experience versus XYZ who just stepped in there from playing or un- untying his shoes, you know? So I'm like, there there has to be some kind of discrepancy. It, it, it's just sometimes it's so blatant and flagrant. It's, it's, it's frustrating and it, it's upsetting. Um, so there definitely needs to be strides in the future to, to remedy that. And I don't think that they have totally yet, you know, you know, to the point where, you know, Demarcus, right? You know, he's doing great things in the USL. This man should be doing great things in, in, in a top club in the MLS, period. Whatever he's doing, not, not to belittle the USL, but everything he's doing there, he should have already had the opportunity in the MLS to do something like that. Um, so, and, and I can give you multiple examples, but we don't have enough time on this podcast. So I, I do think that there are countless examples where, you know, we look at our counterparts who, you know, we love, you know, and, and, and shoot, I'll, I'll even call one out. We spoke to to Steve Terundolo on our podcast and we, we asked him, we said, Steve, you know, you know, you had a, a head coaching job for one season and then you just got the LAFC job. You know, you know, we asked him why he thought, you know, he was right, man. And he answered it. Great, grand, wonderful. And I love Steve, and you know, I think he's going to do a great job, but how many other teams in the MLS can say that they've given that opportunity to a, a person of color, you know, I don't think so. To my knowledge, that kind of opportunity has never come up in the history of the MLS to any black or brown person. I
3: think, Grant, what's important is that um, it's not just about a coaching position as well, right? It's it's president, sporting directors, you know. You know, being in the top offices has to have a little bit more diversity. And I think that's where the field opportunity, because these two gentlemen, they weren't they didn't want to be on the sideline. They wanted to 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 be in a different type of position that they ha- they didn't have when they played in the MLS. So having somebody from a minority background um in those positions. And again, crickets, you know, that's frustrating to
0: hear. Now, what's crazy is there are twenty-eight teams even in MLS this season. There's gonna be thirty teams in MLS, I think next season, season after. Um That's a crazy number of teams for a soccer league, by the way. Um, But that means also there should be a lot of opportunities. And we've had Shola Winley, the head of DEI for MLS, come in on my podcast and talk about what they're doing. And some of it sounds encouraging, promising. Where are you on what MLS has actually been doing over the last year or so? And there's quite reasonably some hurt I'm hearing from from you about what's happened in the past. Are you at a point where like if opportunities in MLS front offices or coaching presented themselves that you were you might be like, "Uh uh-uh, like I, I wanted this a few years ago, but not now.
2: For me no. I think if 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 given and offered or presented the right opportunity, you know, there there'd be no question to to look into it because that's the only way that you open doors for other people of you know, that look like me, right? Is to, to get in those positions and to, to open more doors for those other people. So I think that, you know, MLS is definitely trying to make the right moves, you know, hiring Shola and, and changing their whole um, hiring process um, is, is definitely a great step. But now we have to see the end result. We have to see the results from, from these, these steps and the hirings and, and, and things like that. Like you said, there's 30-some teams uh they're going to be next season and that just means more more opportunities but what happens a lot of time once you know of an opportunity that's already too late because they've already filled it right by the time that you've heard about an opening so that, that that's one of the things is access to information about knowing what is available who's looking for what you know and not just after the fact
4: and i think and i think another thing um is uh holding these clubs um Accountable. You know, I think that, you know, if MLS is obviously is is the, the godfather and they have the the end say the end say on basically any deal or anything that happens, you know, in the league, then they have to hold these, help hold these clubs uh, accountable for for, you know, their hiring process, who they're reaching out to, um, making sure they're getting the right candidate uh, for the for the for the position that they're looking for. And, you know, but, you know, someone that's really, you know, has that role you know, going around in the club, okay, who'd you interview for the head coaching job? You guys have an opening at GM, who'd you interview? I want to see the the names. I want to, you know, obviously they're not going to be in the interview, but they want to, you know, you you want to make sure that they're doing it, doing the, 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 their due process in the right way that's MLS is starting, you know, progressing to set up as far as, you know, hiring processes. So, I mean, I just think that, you know, they have to hold the, the clubs accountable and hopefully they, you know, they, they, they are doing that, Um, you know, uh, from now until into the future.
0: Well, we're seeing with NFL coaches these days and the recent lawsuit from uh, Brian Flores, not happening in the NFL, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ap- apparently. So um, you certainly hope that MLS is doing things better and, than And, that.
2: and, and that's, a, that's a league of its players is 70%, you know, African-American. So if, if, a, if a league like the M- uh, NFL was predominantly black, you know, if you can't even find any kind of uh, equity in terms of coaching or, or front office... You know it's, it's very disheartening um so we're hoping that you know the mls can especially we you know that
3: mls has a lot of nfl owners right true sure. as well and, and as that's well. That, and that's one of the models they took right
0: yep um so while we've got gucci on here i i do want to ask i i see you doing stuff on the athlete council with u.s soccer which is gonna have a major role again, an even more major role in the last election because they got 33% of the vote coming on this March 5th presidential election. Um, and Cindy Parlo Cohn is running as a former athlete to continue being U.S. soccer president. The system finally is, is create, creating a situation where former players have a better chance than ever to become U.S. soccer president. You ever got any interest in that?
2: <laughs> to, to be US soccer president? Yeah. <laughs> it. Not,
0: not right now. <laughs> <laughs> I I I just
2: listed everything I'm doing. I ain't got no time for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think US, you know, it, it, it's it's crazy to see how far it's gone, you know, from from years ago. I remember when we were, you know, when when Sunil was was president, we were like U 17s and everything like that. And uh now to have Sydney there, it, you know, it's it's great. Um, and now the athletes' council that has more uh, power within their vote, it, it, it's a great thing to to have. And I hope that that promotes and that kind of gives a sign to other athletes. Like you, know, if you wish to do that, you know, the sky's the limit. Let's 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 see what we can do.
0: I did say to Cindy, she was on my podcast recently, and um, I said it's kind of a thankless job, U.S. Soccer president. You don't get paid anything. Takes a lot of time. People are always complaining about you. And she said, at times, at times, it's a thankless job. (laughs) Then she proceeded to explain why she wanted to do it. So it was still an interesting conversation. Um, So let's change gears just a little bit here. Um, I want to get your thoughts on the U.S. men's national team in World Cup qualifying. This has been 11 games out of 14 are done. The U.S. is on track to qualify still could get a little dicey the last three games. What are your thoughts on where the team is and the performances you're seeing?
2: After Mookie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Man,
3: let's start with the person that nobody cares what I think. But um, we got to be positive, right? And um, I I think the U.S., obviously, I think we're in a good position to, to qualify. But I think my stance is, we shouldn't just be happy about qualifying anymore. Like, it's 2022 and we're still kind of like, oh, we just have to get in in uh, a region that we all know is not as tough as other regions, but we all we have like the majority of the resources. So we shouldn't have an excuse to be the top three. So for me, I think that we have a great young group. I think it takes time for them to gel. Um, and I think that we missed out on having some veterans that can maybe help with not qualifying 2008 2000 uh, the last world cup 2018 to to help us uh, with these young players in the locker room off the field but we cannot deny it. we have a talented young group i just think that um um i don't want to put it all on greg but something is off that we're not getting the best um out of this out of this group and uh, i can't keep on saying they're young they're young you're young because most national teams and most Clubs have young, talented stars. So for me, is this? Is this? I want to see better play on the field consistently, and um I want to see us stop trying to play in cold weather to try to beat teams <laughs> like Honduras. Like this is terrible. Like, like we're trying to grow the game here, um, Grant. You know, we're trying to grow uh, fans and stuff like that. So we need better, attractive football. But I think we're definitely going to qualify, and I think that uh, we'll get it together. To uh to, to represent the country well in the World
4: Cup. I mean, I, I I agree with a couple of things you said. Not everything. Um, I think one of the things when you said that, you know, it's 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 just it's not about just qualify qualifying for the World Cup. I mean, yeah. it kind of is. We didn't qualify in '18. You know what I'm saying? So qualifying in '22 is going to be huge. It's not a it's not a a uh, automatic anymore. You know, and that's and that that you can go into. I'm not going to go into you know countries getting better, us not whatever. That that's not that's no here or there, but it is about getting to the World Cup. Um, because since I'm, the, we my, fighting, I'm just saying
3: the resources that this country has getting to the World Cup It should be more about advancing to the past the group stages and yeah, but it is. It is, it is. I
4: mean, but the first step in that is qualifying for the World Cup. You can't take three steps forward. You know, I think that was our problem in 2018. We We were already looking in Russia, and we forgot about the game in in Trinidad. You know what I'm saying? Like I was on the. You know I was on. I was on the bench. I was there. I was. I was there. Um. You know, probably one of the most disappointing parts of my career is not qualifying for the World Cup. And I say that because, off of your comment, you can't look past Mexico, Costa Rica, and Panama. It is right now about qualifying for 2022. Look
3: past Costa Rica. They suck. Simple as that.
4: So. It's saying that. and saying that. saying that. Um, yeah, I, I, the, the thing I did, you know, agree with another thing when we said was, uh, you know, I would like to see more consistency, you know, because we have not put a, a whole 90 minute game. I mean, a whole, a, a good game. We can't, we can't say, sit here and say the U.S. soccer played a good game for 90 minutes. That hasn't happened in a while. You know, and and obviously with Mookie and his uh, what he's saying about the talented players, and you know, and this and that, um, that is somewhat. um, I won't won't use the word uh, disappointed, but I'll say it's you know, um, it's uh, uh, what word can I use? Um,
0: I don't know. I don't want to use
4: disappointed because I'm not disappointed in in the team or the players because they're they're they they are really good and and they're and they're in the in the 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 realm of of qualifying for 2022
3: but do you you think we're getting carried away with who the player plays for in terms of what club he plays for rather than his performance or what he's doing Uh, sometimes i sit back i think and i see all these memes or ads about all these jerseys all these players playing in europe but uh, maybe it shouldn't come. Maybe we just be overhyping these these players, and we gotta maybe just give everybody opportunity. I don't, just...
4: think, I don't think I overhyping. I I worry about what they do in the USA shirt. Sure. Exactly. So if yeah. you come from MLS, I'm come not a, from... no, I'm a I'm a you know I'm not a Chelsea mm. fan, but I mm. I'm a Pulisic fan. You Definitely. know, like I I don't really watch Chelsea that much. You know what I'm saying? But I, obviously I watch Man City. So I'm only talking about the US. The you know what they do in, in this country to qualify the world cup and yeah it has been un- in- inconsistent um you know the players haven't haven't got up to that to that level where you said okay they dominated this game the, the 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 opponent had no chance of of winning um that hasn't happened in in, in qual and qualifying tough. we all know that Gucci mm-hmm. know, it, we know it you know whatever but at the same time this week or the next three games is going to be a man never won in Mexico never won in Costa Rica and they got Panama who's a is a very good team.
0: It's 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 gonna be tricky. Before we get to Igucchi on this, I love seeing you on CBS and the broadcast of the away games, but I kind of feel bad for you sometimes because the away games, it's almost we like I get the crap like, games. Like it's like <laughs> the official <laughs> channel of mediocre to bad US performances. Yeah, Seriously.
2: Yes. 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 There you go. Every every game we're on, they 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 give us th- these. You know, gut wrenching performances, and then as soon as they go home, it's like Alexi, Mo, and Stu are like chanting and shouting. And I'm like, man, get out of here! <laughs> but I mean, I mean, you guys have, if you've watched, you, you've you've heard my piece on the on the U.S. team. I think the frustration comes from understanding that this is probably one of the the, the most talented groups of, of U.S. players that has ever been um, assembled. So when we see and we know that of their potential and their capabilities and they just fall to teams like Panama or or, or or Canada, you know, you're just like, wait a minute, this guy plays for here, he plays for here, he's performing here, he's performing there. How come you can't do it in CONCACAF, right? Um, I do believe they will qualify. I also believe that they've been fortunate enough to have results fall their way when they lose or they tie, you know, because it could have gone, it could have gone downhill real quick, uh, early days, you know, if, if Mexico had gotten results uh, when they didn't or or, or other teams or, or Costa Rica, Panama got results when they didn't. So I think that these three games and everyone's, they, they actually called me out on CBS because I I told them, I was like, if they don't watch themselves, they could find themselves in the exact same position as we were in four years ago with everything coming down to the last game, if other results go in the directions that they're not supposed to go. So, you know, Mexico and Azteca has historically never been easy. Um, You know, playing Panama is not going to be easy. You know, Um, it's, it's, these games are really uh, the matches, the games that they really, the team, the coaching staff, actually the U S soccer in general needs to really show their personality and, and, show everybody, you know, why we believe in them so much.
0: No, that makes sense. We're winding down here. Really appreciate you taking this much time, all three of you. Um, There was kind of a fun story recently when I heard the players on the U.S. Men's National Team have actually been paying for two barbers from New York City to fly out for a couple of days every camp and cut hair. And it made me remember, I visited Eddie Johnson once when he was in Greece. And he flew in his barber all the way from London. It was like because he was on loan. It was Clint Dempsey had the same barber. They were friends. And I'm wondering. It made me wonder. I guess how hard is it to get a good haircut in Europe, especially for black guys? Well, 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 Grant, can you mute? Can you mute? Can you <laughs> that was the
4: exact time I went bald was in Scotland <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm serious I'm not, I'm not bullshit that's the exact time I, hey, so you're asking the your question is very <laughs> oh, man.
3: <laughs> oh man oh man and that's, a true. True, that's
4: a true statement I am not kidding that's a true statement and that's why I started just cutting my just starting shaving it off because I couldn't find a barber man in Scotland nah it was it's not. It's not so hard to happen. the point that you
2: got a private jet people over. Yeah, but but that's a very important.
3: Grant, the same person been cutting my hair for twenty years. Yep. And, and I and my, I introduced my barber to Josie out the door, and Josie only, only uses him. So it is it, a barber shop is like a, a barber is uh, part of our family. Did Joe? Yeah, did Josie did fly, you know, fly him
4: off to to Europe when he was when he was over in Europe?
3: No, he, he introduced him when he came back.
4: Oh, when he came back. Yeah,
2: um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Who's you got a barber in, in in Luxembourg? Took me
2: three and a half months to find the man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Took me three and a half months. I swear, because I I was I was looking, I couldn't find it. I was like, I know there's got to be a black barber out here. I know there got to be because I didn't I didn't trust people with the scissors. I was like, nah. <laughs> was oh, like, the comb and scissors. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. I didn't trust the comb and scissors. So I was like get out of here for the fade. I saw my, my my players come in with a fresh haircut. I was like, I, I grabbed him by the arm and I was like, hey, he's like, he was shocked. I was like, what? he's like, yeah. I was like, when you get a haircut, he was like, <laughs> <laughs>
4: give up your barber. Exactly.
2: <laughs> he's like, oh, it's in Luxembourg. So I was like, oh, OK, give me the address. And that's how it happened. But it's not easy. It's not easy.
0: Good not to know. Every I'm going to do some serious investigative journalism and track down these two barbers from New York City and do a story about them. So, I'm on the case, but only the hard-hitting stuff here.
2: You, 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 can, you can plug uh, our barber for, for CBS. Dude's name is Troy. This boy be getting me,
0: Mo, Charlie, Clint. Gets us nice. Nice. You should be using my barber. Demarcus Beasley, Aguchi Anyelu, and Mauricio Mookie Wilson are the co hosts of the Crack Podcasts. It's an absolutely fantastic podcast. You all should listen to it and subscribe. Guys, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having us, Grant. Thanks, Grant. Appreciate it, man. All right, let's bring Witty back in for segment three. MLS starts its 2022 season this weekend. 14 games, 28 teams, all in action. I'm excited, Chris. Are you?
1: Fired up. I'm, uh, I'm ready to go with uh, Inter-Miami again. We'll have our uh, Univision matches once more. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love and I've like... I feel like I'm as dialed into this league as I've ever been. like I, I I spent a lot of the off season like tracking every single transfer. I know a lot of the new players that have come into the league. There's actually a lot to be excited about when for me when it comes to MLS. so yeah i'm I'm, I'm fired up and ready to get going.
0: Congrats on all the different things you'll be doing. I think our listeners know all the stuff you do, but um check Chris out. He's going to be doing Univision Broadcast on the SAP English side. Uh, of those national broadcasts. He's also part of the Inter-Miami crew. So if you're watching on ESPN Plus on the local broadcast, it's a pretty great crew. We'll see if the team's any good this year, but um, certainly the possibility for that is the case. We'll get to that in a little bit, but we've got 10 questions here. We're kind of going to go a little bit rapid fire here, uh, heading into the MLS season from both of us. And To start, which MLS team has the best chance of winning CCL this year? Mm. And I'm going to answer this one from my side. We'll see what you have to say, Chris. I'm going to say Seattle uh, because, one, I think Seattle is a very, very good team. They've got people healthy again this season. Nicolas Ladero, hopefully. Uh, won't be gone for much of the season like he was last year. And obviously, when he's healthy, he's tremendously influential. Raul Raul Diaz is back as well. And just you know Jordan Morris back from injury. Uh, this is a a very complete team. They got Albert Rusnak uh, as a free agent who has had a big impact on this league already. When we had Jordan Morris as an interview guest a couple of weeks ago, he talked about how excited he was about Rusnak and also just getting back there himself. And I really like players like Joel Paolo uh, as well. Yeah. I think he's been a very impactful signing. And I'm going to write off the one-game weirdness of the MLS playoffs when Seattle somehow went out to Rail Salt Lake, even though Rail Salt Lake didn't get a shot, uh, went out on penalties. I think Seattle has the goods, as they often do in this league, and I think has the ability to win CCL, which an MLS team has never done uh, since it went to the league format.
1: Yeah, the, the round of 16, uh, we're, by the way, we're, we're recording this before its conclusion, um, but I think the only team right now that you can say is kind of building on what they've done before is New York City, which is why I'm going to go with them, because not only have they been in the competition before, which I think kind of gives them a step over New England, who I mean, just the fact they're automatically into the quarterfinal, they're, they bring, they're bringing back a really strong squad. I would not be surprised if they did well in this competition, but I think NYCFC not only bringing so much of their team back, but also the fact that they were able, to to this point, to be able to keep Tati Castellanos when a lot of people would thought he would go in the offseason. He didn't. My guess is he'll probably be a summer transfer for a big fee. I don't think NYCFC wants to sell him to Revit. And so They've got probably one of the best players in the competition. They have a squad that they've almost entirely brought back, save for James Sands. And you look at their starting lineup, their depth chart, they're bringing through some young players, Santi Rodriguez and Tyush Magno. And, and, you know, they're they're bringing through a really talented squad. And oh, by the way, they won MLS <laughs> not, not too long ago. I think they're the strongest contenders to, to win this competition and advance the furthest amongst the MLS teams.
0: You make a good case. By the way, New York City's been very public about saying how much they value CCL, which not every CCL participant has done over the years. So uh, good shout there. We'll see if anyone can do it. I just want to see an MLS team win it for once. Next question, who's going to win the MLS Supporters Shield? Obviously, New England coming off a points record season last year. And I'm going to go with New England again here. Mm. And I'm putting a lot on these acquisitions where Bruce Arena has acquired three players In particular, Josie Altidore, Sebastian Leggett, Omar Gonzalez, who a lot of people think are on the downslope of their careers, but it's one of those cases where Bruce Arena is taking a slight risk in saying, I have relationships with these players. I can get the best out of guys I know. They are going to have faith in me. And let's do this again. Now he's going to lose Matt Turner, obviously the goalkeeper mid but there's so many good players on this team from Gar- Carlos Hill, uh, Gustavo bow. Um, I really even like a guy like Matt Polster and what, what he's brought to that team. And I, I still feel like Bruce arena has this magic touch and obviously they went out, in the first ga- their first game of the MLS playoffs last year after having the record-breaking season. But that doesn't take away from the fact that they were just a tremendous team last year. Plus, when it comes to the supporters' shield, I do think the Western Conference will be better this year than the Eastern Conference. And so I think it's going to be easier to pick up game uh, points in the East, which is why I'm not picking Seattle here. So
1: I, I completely understand the pick of New England to go again. First off, I think they're going to prioritize the playoffs just because of how poorly it went last season. Um, but... I think you have a situation where there's a real chance that Adam Books goes in the summer because he's been linked with a European move. The European clubs go after players in the summer window. He seems like a striker that could move. And that puts a lot of pressure on Josie Altidore to be fit because they're spending a lot of money on him. They gave him a three-year guarantee contract. And if they insist on playing that 4-4-2 system, he's going to have to play a lot. And he has not demonstrated a pattern of fitness for a long time. So that's a real question for me. And I also, I'm trying to learn the lesson a little bit of last year's Columbus, where they brought everybody back it seemed obvious that they were just going to go again and be great. And yes, they had you know huge amounts of injuries and our tour being back is going to help them be good again this year. Um, but they were also kind of it was a team of guys mostly in their early 30s, late 20s, early 30s, and I, I just wonder if like maybe the, the age of particularly the star players for New England, so I'm actually I'm not going to go with them. I'm actually gonna go with Atlanta. And it's funny because I'm not sure a lot of people kind of recognize the potential that's there just because you, you move Barco on, Thiago almala has got to come in and settle in. But when they kicked on after the Gabriel Heinze disaster at the start of the season, they look like a really strong team despite the fact that Joseph Martinez wasn't really that great last season. And so if he's fully fit... And Luis Araujo takes that step up. I think a lot of people are expecting him to make. And you look at their kind of their depth chart. I, I just think it's a really solid team. Andrew Goodman comes in for George Bello, and you have you still have Miles Robinson at the back. He's yet to kind of make been linked with that move away. So
0: I think Atlanta is strong enough to go for supporter shield. Good points. Very interesting. I mean, I, I guess what I would say about Atlanta is I, I'm stung by. P.D. Martinez, and to an extent, Ezequiel Barco. And there was so much expectation if their are big transfer fees, this was going to be another Almiron situation. And now we're realizing, I think, how special Miguel Almiron was in mm-hmm. this league. And so we'll see if Tiago Almada can settle in quickly or not, but I don't think it's a guarantee. I'd love to see him be successful, but good shot there for Atlanta under Gonzalo Pineda. I think that's going to be an interesting team to follow, a chance to Be like the old Atlanta United, which we haven't seen for a while. Uh, Next question, which MLS team will be the first to fire its coach? I think I alluded to this the other day. I think it's going to be Charlotte. Um, Wow. And I realize this is a first-year team. I think they're going to struggle out of the gate. I think when you have a coach say publicly really negative things about his own team, as Anthony Hudson did in Colorado a couple years ago, he got fired very soon thereafter, uh, and that team rebounded, by the way. And I think this situation in Charlotte, I think it could very well blow up. And so when you're saying we're screwed, we're effed about your roster, uh, two weeks before the season starts, I think that's a sign of there's some real issues there in Charlotte. So, um, we, we'll see. I, I think part of me saying this is because I feel like there aren't many other coaches in this league who begin the season on the hot seat because there were a lot of changes at the end of last season. So that's why I'm saying it.
1: Yeah, you look at kind of the bottom end of each conference. There's a lot of coaching changes there. So you look at the, the, the guys that are brought back. I would say Josh Wolf is under some pressure in Austin just because they have spent their full allotment of resources. They should be better than they have been um and so they need to make a step forward I also uh, you also I think look at the guys who are brought in as first year coaches that don't have a ton of experience right and you're kind of taking a gamble on Steve Chirundolo at LAFC like LAFC have a really strong team I I think if not for Chirundolo inexperience, I might have gone for them as a supporter shield candidate just because of I think the the talent that they have so I think he's kind of got to hit the ground running to be on stable footing um this is gonna. This actually bums me out a little bit, but the I think my pick is actually to be Vanny Sartini in Vancouver, because um, <laughs>
0: he's such a great guy. He's such a great
1: guy. So he's a lovely man, and there's no evidence <laughs> that he can be a bad coach. But that's also like could very easily have been interim coach, new manager bounds, flash in the pan. And I think Vancouver enters the season with expectations. So if he doesn't get off to the best of starts, maybe the hierarchy there is like well. We kind of wanted to hire a permanent manager that wasn't Vanny Sartini, but it worked out so well that we kind of had to keep him. Uh, I, I don't know how convinced they are. It would bum me out if they did, but I, I, he, he would be someone that I would put in that conversation.
0: I should say also, uh, to be specific, Miguel Angel Ramirez is the coach of Charlotte FC. Um, next question. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Will Inter-Miami be any good? Um, I know you work for Inter Miami, so uh, y- you're not in a position to be you know, necessarily crazy critical, but you also know the team well. Um, when I see this team, I see a team that has been, you know, that's a real punishment that they got last season for their improper behavior. And that's had a big impact on player acquisitions, uh, decisions that have been made in the club. And so they are going to be hamstrung by this. Uh, and so I don't think this is a team that's going to be uh, in the top half of the league. That said, they they have made some interesting moves. And uh, I, I think they could be... It, it's actually possible to not be in the top half of the league and be a playoff team. That may be where the, they end up. So I, I do
1: think that their solidity will dramatically improve from what we've seen the last couple of years. I think their desire, not only... I mean, they had high paid defenders in Nicolas Vigal who they sold to the Boca Juniors and Leandro Gonzalez Perez who they loaned to 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 River Plate which is it's kind of crazy the number of guys that are like this MLS team doesn't want them let's send them to Argentinian giants oh uh, you think of like Tomas Pozzitino going from Austin to River as well um, but i think they like the the key for them is to be solid this year and if they get Kieran Gibbs fully fit which is still a doubt he's he's recovering from a hamstring injury and DeAndre Yedlin who they just brought in from Galatasaray and then their two-man midfield of Gregory and Jinmota, who they brought in from Brazil, um, I think that like all of a sudden you have the makings of a solid team, right? Where it's you're you're you can be more solid at the back. You can you have a good central midfield pairing. Which if you're doing well in central midfield, you're doing well in this league. And the question is. How do you figure out the attacking answers? And Gonzalo Higuain changing his shirt number from 9 to 10 is an indication of, I think, how he's going to play more as a second striker this year or a player who is sometimes an out-and-out number 10 and pulling the strings as much as as he's finishing goals. The question is, is there enough of a structure around that to to, to score goals on a regular basis? Because he is still their best finisher. There is also questions about what happens, and we're recording this before the start of the season, with the DP spot that they will eventually open up uh do they fill it in the in the winter window or do they wait to the summer to go and get a player that they want so there's questions there about how they fill the rest of their roster but I would say at the very least the step forward for them is being more solid than they've been defensively their first two seasons
0: next question how good is Toronto going to be after all the changes we had Bob Bradley on not long ago and we actually sort of asked him what he's looking at as success and he sounds like a guy who very much wants to make the playoffs this season Toronto was brutally bad last year and that's Mm -hmm. why they've made so many changes and that that said you know Bradley's the kind of stature of Bruce Arena in this league and so how much of a turnaround is possible um We'll see. And I think that, that makes Toronto one of the more intriguing teams in the league. Obviously, Lorenzo and Insigne coming mid-season, but we're going to know a lot by then about what this Toronto team is going to look like and how much of an influence Bob Bradley will have. I think it will be significant. And how much can you get out of Michael Bradley uh, at this stage in his career is another big question for me. But Um, I don't think Bob Bradley ever enters a year thinking this is like a rebuilding year, and I don't think that's how they're looking at it.
1: I agree. and, And I do think that in this league, there's a greater potential to go from worst to first than there is in any other league in the world. Yep. So I can absolutely see them making a step forward. I think the signing of Carlos Salcedo at the back from Tigres is big uh, when you consider just how vulnerable they were defensively, but it's also there's also a lot of, like, their defensive structure was off. So you'd have to imagine that from a forward-pressing standpoint, they're going to have to improve. Um, we'll see what Ayo Akinola return, re- returning to fitness can do uh, to improve their side. Also, the fact they sold Richie Larea to the championship to Nottingham Forest, and they seem like they're really going to go all in on Jaquil Marshall-Rudy, who's an 18-year-old at right back. That's a really interesting one. But yeah, I, I think that they'll improve. I think they'll be on the cusp of playoff contention. And uh, Lorenzo Senior jumping in in the middle of the season can only improve them that much more. I think they need a little bit more in central midfield just in terms of Player acquisitions, but for the moment, yeah, I I I do think that they're going to have a chance to make the playoffs and take a significant leap forward because I think the improvement in coaching can be that big of a difference in this league.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Um the next five questions are on your end. So you're gonna actually provide the first answer on these. I'll chime in afterward. Next question, can American goal scorers make any kind of impact in this league? And and I asked that question because the best American goal scorer in the league last year was Ricardo Pepe. And he's gone and he was pretty far down the list. And we haven't seen many U.S. players be near the top of the league in goals for a little while.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Giazzi Zardes is going to have a chance just because, you know, he's getting uh, regular minutes week in, week out with Columbus, and and, and they feature him in their system. I think Brian White in Vancouver had a really good second half of the season. We'll see what that looks like over 34 games. Um, But I'm also kind of looking towards young guys. You look at, you know, Cade Cowell in San Jose, is a, is a really good example. I think San Jose, just in general, is is a is a candidate for two guys, both Cowell and Bobasi, um, because he didn't really hit the ground running uh, there last year. But yeah, I, I would imagine that you will see an improvement in domestic goal scoring, and it might even be Jesus Ferreira in Dallas, um, just because um, you know him getting that big contract. I imagine he'll be asked to score goals. I actually think this might improve significantly year over year.
0: Another guy to always mention, C.J. Sapong was mm-hmm. the top American goal scorer in the league. After Pepe last season, and he's got a team there that doesn't score a ton of goals with Nashville, but, like, they're a good team. We've seen that now two years in a row, and he's just a very sort of, I think, underrated player, underrated forward in this league. Uh, Next question, can LAFC and Atlanta United find their peak form again under new management?
1: Uh, So we we talked about Atlanta already. I think that they will. I think Gonzalo Pineda is is a good coach. And I I look at that team as taking taking significant steps forward. But LAFC, I look at their roster and it's like, wow, this team can really hit the heights. We have not seen that team with Christian Arango and Carlos Vela and Brian Rodriguez on the wings. So that should be an improvement. Their central midfield three right now looks like it's going to be some combination of Janela, Sifuentes and Kellen Acosta, which is a really solid group. Um, they probably need to add a little bit more in in, in, in the center of defense, but they get Murillo back. Um, they brought in Franco, Asco, uh, uh, Franco Escobar from Atlanta. Mamadou Fall was actually a decent player that came through, and they have a really good goalkeeper now. They brought in Maxime Crapeau um, and, and added Ryan Hollingshead as well. Left back, some other depth pieces, and Ismail Dejuri Shradi. I really like this team. I really like LAFC. The question is, can a young manager and Steve Cherundolo weave it all together?
0: I do like you say. That I like the talent on this team. I think Hollingshead's has just been a terrific left back in this league for several years now. And uh, I think he can do the same thing with, with LA. And your point about the goalkeeping, like this has been an Achilles heel for LAFC. Basically since they started uh, in the league, but especially the last couple years. And in um, that such a position, if they can get right, could be uh, just, you know, stability for this team. But I, I do think this is another topic to the sort of a trendy type thing is, we might've mentioned this in previous podcasts, Steve Chirondal hasn't really won much as a head coach and, and even at lower levels. And we'll see if he can actually win games. You know, that's a big question about Paulo Nagamura at Houston as well. And so I know that they were in positions where they had to develop talent, not just win games, but it's about winning now. And and we'll see if they can do that. Uh, next question here. Who are the next young players to break out and go to Europe?
1: I, I'm, I'm really excited about this question and kind of, because so, like basically everyone we would have talked about in this category last year went to Europe or went somewhere. <laughs> uh, so, uh, we mentioned Jaquil Marshall-Rudy already in Toronto. Uh, he's he's a really exciting prospect. I absolutely love Cade Cowell just because I've had the chance to watch him a fair bit. Like San Jose is is, is a regular on Univision's coverage of MLS, so we see uh, San Jose a fair bit. And I've seen Cade Cowell like at his very best. I think he had a game once on our air that was like a goal and two assists against FC Dallas. Really excited about the entire group of players that could come through in Philly. Uh, When you look at uh, Paxton Aronson and Jack McGlynn, who's already gotten some some minutes as well, Quinn Sullivan, they kind of have like that group of central midfield players uh, that are coming through. So all over the league, you get excited. I mean, Caden Clark technically still counts as he went back uh, to the Red Bulls. Um, So, uh, you know, for me, I, I, I just look at this crop of players and there's always going to be more. MLS is going to continue to produce good homegrowns. The New York City bunch as well coming from abroad. We haven't really seen those under-22 initiative players hit in a big way. So someone like GT in Austin, I thought had like had some good moments at times last year. Um, there, there's youth all over the league almost by rule. And so I think you're going to see another group of young players that start to impress and 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 get thrown in the in the transfer rumor mill.
0: I think I'm always going to say it Cade Cowell. Every time I, I say his name, because I really enjoy saying Cade Cowell. He's <laughs> got this very sort of—I don't know how to put it—like yeah. he's going to star in a western or something. Um, <laughs> like it, it's, it's such a typical U.S. young yeah. men's soccer player name. Yes, Cade. Point, Cade but,
1: is uh, a great American soccer name. <laughs> there, are, we only make Cades in, in America. There are no Cades anywhere else.
0: Uh, Cades and Cadens. Um, Anyway, next question. Can Cincinnati not be the worst team in the league? I certainly hope so for their fans. Like, we were there in Cincinnati for USA Mexico.
1: That's a great soccer city. They deserve a good team. Uh, they appear to be well run now, um, but I, I just, I still don't look at that team and see impact players other than Lucho Acosta, who I thought put in a shift for them. Um, but Brenner has to take a step forward. Um, but. You look at their kind of projected starting lineup, and it's a lot of the same players. So unless Alec Khan is like that big of an upgrade in goal. Uh, for them. I, I just, I don't see it. Like, I, I, I don't see them becoming a team that's, I mean, maybe they'll be on a point per game. They won like four games all last season, but they need a lot of internal improvement, coaching improvement, MLS know-how improvement, which by the way, can come from a you know an all Philly staff that came over and they can implement a system that's suitable to the league, unlike previous coaches. But I, I, I still fear for them.
0: I do. And the crazy thing is, I almost think one version of success for them might just be don't finish last. And I realize like, that's kind of a horribly low bar, but they finished last, last three years. Yeah, (laughs) They finished last the last three years. And so I don't even think success for them is making the playoffs this season. There's very few MLS teams that I would say that about, but uh, a lot of work to do there. And yet guys, right. You know, you mentioned coming from the Philadelphia system, Chris Albright came in to run things. Pat Noonan is the new coach. And we view Philadelphia now as having done it the right way, but it took Philadelphia a little while to, to get things right. And so um, we'll see how uh, much tolerance there is there if the, if the losses continue. But once again, a new coach, so you, you'd think that he's going to get uh, support there in that new gig. Um, Next question and last one. Can Nashville sustain after moving conferences?
1: I do. I I think that they can. I think Nashville is just kind of like one of those relentlessly solid teams that, you know, they've decided to, you know, cash in on Alistair Johnson because they feel like they have enough of that right wing back position. They're bringing through one of their super draft picks from the first season, but I think for them, they have everything that they need in order to continue to be a, a strong team. They brought in Sean Davis from the Red Bulls. Like, they know who they are. They know the kind of player profile that they that they want. They're moving into a new stadium. It, it should remain strong. The thing for them to make a leap, and, and I think they're going to need it moving into the West, is the emergence of Ake Loba, who is one of their DP signings from uh, Monterrey a couple of years ago, or last year, excuse me, and he didn't really hit the ground running if he hits the ground running, then I think Nashville can do it. But uh, what an impressive story. Like, as good of an expansion team as there has been, and I don't think they get enough credit for it.
0: No, they really don't. I'm actually going to have uh, a panel that I'm moderating at SoccerX in Miami. I'm going to come your way, Chris, nice. mid-March. So I hope you're uh, going to be around there. Um, but it's I'm doing two panels. One of them's on women's soccer and whether. Uh, there should be a Champions League and how soon for women's soccer and CONCACAF. The other is Nashville SC. And and I'm going to actually just be on a panel moderating like three or four different Nashville SC executives talking about how they've put things together and hopefully they won't be underrated so much moving forward because they've proved on the field. Yes, they have a very specific way of playing. They scored a few more goals last year. They weren't entirely defensive, but that's a good team. I think Walker Zimmerman, we've talked about this is, is just kind of on another level these days from even what he has been in the past. He's been the MLS Defender of the Year the last two years, playing so well for the national team, has become a a real rock on that back line. So uh, a lot of good things happening in Nashville. Witty, thanks for the MLS talk. Looking forward to the season. Thanks, Grant. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Demarcus Beasley, Aguchi Onyewu, and Mabricio Wilson, as well as producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. See you next time.